leveraging the people within those groups, their experiences, their broader networks is invaluable to continuing to press forward and grow in the space. This is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Today, our guest is Chris Wooten. Chris is an armed forces veteran who got into real estate investing and has just completely scaled that business so significantly. I'm going to let him tell you about his history. Today, you're going to learn about remote real estate investing and various strategies around that uh, that Chris has used over the years to massively grow his portfolio and execute a number of strategies from flipping to multifamily real estate investing and syndication. Without further ado, here's Chris. Chris, thank you for joining us today. Excellent. Thank you for having me on. I'd like to see what I can do to share and give back. So definitely. Oh, I'm sure you've got a lot that you can share with us. If you would, for the listeners, you know, introduce us to you, your experience, and you know, let's get acquainted here. All right. So my name is Chris Wooten. I uh, did 20 years in the Marine Corps. While in the Marine Corps, I uh, got promoted 10 times over 17 years. And I only had two promotions left in my OC field. And I just saw that that was not going to be able to continue to sustain me as far as being able to have that goal achievement piece of continuing promotion. So I went ahead and looking, started looking for other options. And while I was in the Marine Corps, I was doing asset management for aviation assets. And in there, obviously, they trained us up on Lean Six Sigma and constant process improvement and building teams and process delegation and all these things. And I was like, okay, so how can I use those things and essentially start my own business using those capabilities? And I had moved so many times over the years and I always enjoyed moving into a new location, studying the location, finding the right house that I knew I could get some appreciation on on the backside. So I just kind of tied the two together. I was like, all right. So around my 15 year mark in the Marine Corps, I was like, all right, I'm going to start real estate investing. And it started off just doing a um, buy the house, set it up to where I knew I wanted to rent the house out when I moved to my next duty station. And I started to acquire a little bit of a rental structure there. But then as I saw things coming up and I saw my retirement time getting closer, that 20 year mark getting closer to me, I was looking more for an actual reoccurring income flow, more so than what I was getting from just my little bit of rental flow. So I took a lot of those skills that I had from the aviation asset management piece and started doing a remote flipping process. And I was doing all this after hours. So I could control my tempo doing two to three properties at a time in various cities across the country that I had developed teams to do the flipping in those locations that were in hot demand that I just could not be there. And built that up and it was it was going good. And it was actually going so good that I started to develop a, a little bit of a uh, excess of capital. And I myself, I don't like having capital just sitting unemployed, so to speak. So 
I started shopping around for apartment opportunities to ramp up what I had coming in for the passive income and found an apartment complex that had been built by this group of partners and their partnership was a little shaky and they were looking to offload. So I was able to get a really good price on my first apartment building. That was about four years ago. And so I accidentally ended up in the apartment space, but I was still gaining the rental. So uh, passive income from that and continuing to flip along the way. And like I say, just two, three properties at a time and just having the teams working on those flips, I enjoyed it. But the problem that I had with the remote flipping is working in the single family space, there's a lot more emotion involved. People are emotionally attached to their home. So prices get a little thrown out of whack. Working into a deal can be a little bit more difficult and tasking because you've got that emotional component in there. And I noticed in the apartment space that it was more of a business space. You're buying into a business. So it's more objective. I could facilitate that better and understanding and making an honest valuation of what the project is worth. So I knew I really wanted to go more into the apartment space. And then as I was exiting the Marine Corps, I actually ended up buying a second apartment building just because I was gaining that additional capital. And I did not want to ramp up the single family flip model because I already saw my own limitations in that space. And I was wanting to go more into the apartment arena. Uh, So as I was exiting, acquired my second apartment building and then got retired from the Marine Corps. And then that's when I started looking at, okay, I'm going to go full-time multifamily. How can I grow this? And that's what brought me into the syndication arena. Cool. So that is quite the evolution that you've had over time. And you moved from flipping to syndication, apartment syndication, which is a not uncommon transition that folks are are making these days. Um, apartments are are great for a lot of reasons. Now, I, I'd like to step back to you know Chris when he's in the Marine Corps, thinking about getting into real estate investing in in some way. You already had those houses, you said from from moving around, but really ramping up your real estate investing, what was it like deciding to do that first flip and then actually walking through the steps to, I mean, we don't need to go through all the steps, but actually doing it for the first time. I mean, what did you do? How did you, did you take a course? How did you figure it out the first time so you didn't completely lose your shirt and decide not to do another one? Good point to pull out because I kind of glaze over that a little bit. So yes. I knew I wanted to get into the flipping arena. I didn't know anything about it other than I knew how to manage assets. I knew how to work with people and develop the teams. So I did one of the um, we're coming to your town free weekend seminar things. And I did that. They give you just enough to be dangerous is, Mm. is my takeaway from that. But I did go ahead and buy the upgraded version. So do the investment in yourself. And I had started to learn that from, I was just starting to learn about mentors in business. I really, I guess I hadn't thought about it. In the Marine Corps, we had developed a mentorship program 
I hadn't really considered having a business mentor, but I had started getting involved with business mentors and they had all talked about, hey, train up, find mentorship and grow. So from that weekend seminar, they had the mentorship program and I went into that and they continued to teach more. So they started off teaching wholesaling and I knew I really didn't want to mess with that it's a very, in my perspective, a heavy tempo component, and I needed an after hours hustle. Flipping, if you're actively flipping, is a very busy component as well. But what I had developed was I had enough of a margin there that I could hire in professionals to do what they do, still make a net for myself as well, but then it didn't require as much of my time. So from going to the course, going through the mentorship and melding all the components together from what I was doing in aviation and then rolling into the flipping arena and being able to make it remote, I was able to develop a a solid process and continue to develop that by continuing to work with. And I went on a vacation with some mentors. We went to uh, Kauai. And went to a mastermind out there. And they weren't necessarily talking to flipping. Uh, There was one there that was doing lease options. There was one there that was doing short-term rentals. But just hearing how they build and develop their businesses and the systems they put in place helped give me some more insight to build my own for the remote flipping piece. So a lot of it is not trying to fight the uphill battle on your own and stumble along, find the mentors, get the education and build the processes off of what's tried and true already. And in there as well, mixed in with all that, I had a 30 minute one way commute to work every day. So I would just digest as many podcasts as I could love about podcasts. You can set the speed on them at two times. So I could listen to two 30-minute podcasts in my 30-minute drive at 2X wow. and just go. And the good thing for me was I just had a, let me see, he was probably one to two years old at the time, kid in the back. He didn't care about music. He's just back there doing his own thing. So I could let this podcast just go through. <laughs> and I'm taking in all this information along with all the stuff that I'm getting from the mentors and getting from the masterminds. and redeveloping my processes to make them better and more efficient. Nice. Okay. So you're, you're riding the car, listening to podcasts on 2X, listening to the the Smurfs tell you about real estate investing. You're going to these seminars, learning from mentors, and you're also learning along the way as you execute these business plans. And before we move on to the apartment syndication, I'm curious, over the time that you were flipping, no matter all markets in the country were changing pretty significantly. And you mentioned you had enough margin in your business to be able to pay others, pay the professionals to do a lot of these services. So I'm just curious, like what class of flips were you looking at? What kind of margins did you need to have to make the business plan you know, profitable? Yeah, tell us about that before we move on to the apartments. Okay, so typically every team that I would set up, 
I would have a, an agent on the ground. I would have a contractor in the area. I would have an inspector in the area and then uh, a title company or attorney. And that was typically the team. I had a lot of people that had been in the space for a long time. Oh, well, why would you pay an agent their commissions? You could save that percentage. I'm like, that's great, but I can also pay them that piece as long as I make sure my margins are good on the front end. And I'll even dial that back one more line. Majority of the properties were coming straight off the MLS. So many people get wrapped around the axle of you have to go direct to seller, mailers, whatever, to get the margins you need when you actually don't. You just have to find the value add component in the property and you can pull property straight off the MLS. Normally, what I was looking for was to be able to buy 65 to 70% of after repair value. And that would give me enough margin to pay all the professionals to do their duties. And I was still able to make my net on the back end. And what I would typically find was maybe not even necessarily a really dilapidated property. We did have a couple of those. I had one that the chimney was pulling away from the house. Um, So we had to bring in a structural engineer for that. But most of them, people were living on them. It was just the area had a higher demand. Maybe there were some other flippers in the area that were bringing in better finishes into the spaces. And I was just able to leverage off of that because we were only doing a couple. So we could leverage off of that and clean them up, bring in better products. So potentially increase the uh, classification level of the property in that space and be able to get that margin that we needed to get. Interesting. And how many markets had you narrowed it down to? Because you have a limited number of hours, you have to look at these deals in your free time, you have to make offers on them on your free time. So you need to know all these numbers for these markets before you even start. So what were you doing in terms of markets and everything? So you got it. I was working uh, four markets and I use four. It kind of goes back to uh, the way that the Marine Corps operates is in fire teams. When you start to function a team of greater than four items, you start to lose connectivity with the effectiveness of the overall team. Hmm. So four people on the team, four markets, and just grow, grow, grow. And then letting the team members have their swim lane of what they do, but also try to keep them not overtasked where it's a saturation and they can focus on their core competency and you get the most efficiency out of the team that way. So just keeping everything in force. So did the four markets, obviously did the market studies on the front end, but then I had the realtor there in the market that could keep me up to date on any market changes. If a new sub-market within the market was coming up, if things were slowing down in one area that we were previously in, all those kind of things, I could kind of keep a, a pulse of the market that way. And that's essentially the way to success that we used was just to not oversaturate any one person and delegate out to where nobody really had more than four responsibilities to tend to, and you can maintain good focus. Mm, okay. And one of the things that we talk about on this show is the importance of mindset and commitment when you're 
getting into any new business, but real estate investing specifically. So as far as your commitment level, like when you're looking at a a new market or you you were looking at new markets, how much study time did you give yourself in maybe days or whatever, however you want to break it down, where you said, okay, I need to, I don't know, pick another market. I have two weeks to figure this out. Or how did you think about that? So you're setting smart goals and keeping that timeline in mind. So I like to run fast, so to speak. So if I knew I needed to shift markets or essentially potentially build another team, what I would do is I would really go into crunch time to where I might work later into the night, sacrifice some sleep and get it done. I can't really say exactly how many hours it would take, but I had criteria that I would evaluate. Current population, population growth or de-escalation, employment and diversity of employment because you definitely don't want a one-horse town. I would also look at crime stats and crime stats really comes into play when you're looking in the specific sub-markets within the market because street to street can be very different. So you need to get a feel for that. Also looking to see comparable properties and what's going on, looking at sales in the market and see what the market's doing holistically with regard to that. And with the sales, not just looking at the data, but actually digging into the properties because I was remote. So I would look at pictures of the listings. I would have contractor inspector or the agent go to the property, send me pictures, or even virtually walk me through the property while they were on FaceTime or Skype so that I could see what kind of finishes were being put within the properties. And that would kind of help us get a feel for where that area was going. Schools, definitely look at the school ratings. That's really the main criteria. I mean, is your population, your employment, your schools, and your uh, crime ratings, and just make sure that everything is is on the upward trend, not any stale spaces, uh, especially when you're working with uh, a flipping market. Uh, you don't want any uh, stagnation in there. So those are the primary things we look for. Cool. So we were talking before we hit record. You did a total of 20 remote flips. Do I have that number right? Yes, it's right at 20. And that was over right about four years. We were typically completing about three a year. We had some heavier years and some lighter years. And like I say, that was all just after our stuff. And a lot of that was me holding the reins back because I didn't want to overcommit and get the tempo too high to where I couldn't maintain a, a good solid control of it. And that's also what kind of got me into the apartment space was to redeploy some capital rather than bringing on another flip project it was just, it made more sense to me to get that different income stream and get into the apartment space. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, this is passive wealth strategies for busy professionals and the flipping world and the, the flipping business is very much a business. It is taxed as such. It's taxed at a much higher rate than investing in a cash flowing real estate like we do with apartment syndication. 
So, and you're holding yourself back by your own, uh, admission might not be the right word, but by your own testimony, you're holding yourself back. So you didn't get overcommitted, very smart, but it also sounds like this was taking you a considerable amount of your personal time would be considered your personal time outside of your W-2. You mentioned you have a kid, so you've got your whole family there too, your other priorities. So making that shift into multifamily, what was it like getting that first apartment acquisition? What did you do? Did you partner with others? Tell us about that. Okay. And that was actually, I, I glossed over the taxes. So I'm glad you brought that up. So what I noticed early on when I initially got the wholesale training was wholesaling gets crushed with taxes because you don't have any, well, you have minimal write-offs when you're in the wholesaling world. Coming over into the flipping world, there's some additional write-offs that you can get from flipping, but you still have a heavy tax burden because it is still active income. And I knew from my rental properties that I liked having the additional depreciation. I liked the, the passivity of it all. So when I had the extra capital from the flips, a way to redeploy it over into an apartment complex made sense to me because of the scalability versus buying multiple rental homes, have one building, so to speak, one roof, so to speak, and have multiple units within it. It lets you lever vacancies. You can uh, scale. There's some scalability in your maintenance capability. Uh, getting different maintenance contracts done at a cheaper price because they're not having to relocate to a different house for multiple calls. So I liked that idea with the apartment space. So when I had that extra capital and I was able to find a good price on an apartment complex, I went ahead and bought it. And that was me on my own, bought the first one uh, with just my own capital. And even the second one with just my own capital and that was, once again, I hadn't really been exposed to the syndication arena at that point. I had been doing private notes with the single family flip space. So on some of the single families, I may have a private note holder with me in the deal. So I was able to, that was one thing that I pride myself with is my entire time doing single family, the remote flipping. I returned double-digit returns to my note holders for the entire four-year span. I was doing that. So I like to carry that over to into the syndication space as well, as I always work in that arena of my average annual return going into the double-digit range to continue that track record that I had set of always being able to provide the, the double-digit returns. They're not always easy to find, but... If you stay in contact with the market, you stay in contact with the professionals that are coming across the opportunities and let them know what you're doing, they'll bring you in when the right opportunity presents itself and then you go in and execute. Nice. And you were in the rental game before, but now you're you're really committing to a rental-focused model where your income is coming in through just people uh, renting the property. Are you doing a, a value add strategy on these apartment complexes you're acquiring? So yes, I like the idea of infinite returns. So what I had on the first apartment complex 
it was um, the partnership was shaky, so I was able to get a good price there. But I also saw the value add in the property. There was a couple of vacancies. They had not normalized the rents to market in any fashion. So I saw those two opportunities and they had, there was some physical modification of the property that could be done to make the property more effective for the market. Uh, just it had a bad unit mix. So I was able to go in and get the unit mix correct for the market and then really just put in good management and driving direction. Within the three years, we've pushed rents about 50% and we've hit that infinite return mark on that one. And I, I say infinite return. So the objective there was to be able to cash out refi myself because I was the only owner in it, get 100% of my capital out, and then I'm still in the deal. I still own the property. So at that point, the return calculation is infinite. Obviously, there's still some phantom equity in there, which is great. But calculation side of the house, it, I've got an infinite return. So I still work to accomplish that on the projects that I'm working going forward is in time achieving that infinite return and still having myself with investors into the deals. They are more difficult to find now. The market is more saturated with people doing the same syndication model. So those opportunities are harder to find and not be in heavy lift situations because that's something that I never wanted to take on either. I Going into the apartment space, something else that I liked was having a, a cash flowing asset from day one so that I at least knew that the property, the business could take care of itself. And I wasn't going to need to bring in capital to pay the bills on the front end until I get it up and operating. So I continue to operate with that same mindset of having a stable asset on the front end that can at least take care of itself. It can pay its own bills. The return may not be great on the front end, which it typically isn't. And that's where the process improvement piece that I, that I brought over from the Marine Corps life was being able to get into an asset, improve management processes, improve the property itself, make the property more efficient, and then be able to realize that gain on the back end and that increased return on the back end. And what I also liked with the multifamily space was the ability to force appreciation, which you can't do with single family. In single family, you can model the product to marry up with the market and get the comparable appreciation, but you can't force the appreciation of the product. To where in multifamily, you can go in, physically clean it up, administratively clean it up, whatever you need to do to increase that NOI, and in turn, force the appreciation of that asset. And I myself being very good at increasing efficiency in administrative processes and in the physical property itself, have been able to really push the NOI to gather a, a better appreciation on the back end, which further facilitates being able to gain a supplemental note or even a refi to where you minimize the capital that's still in the deal uh, going down the road. Keep the property, especially if the property is cash flowing and it's performing for you, keep it, 
but pull as much uh, capital out as you can, ideally all of it. So then you end up into that infinite uh, returns uh, scenario. Now, which markets are you in in your multifamily investments? Is it uh, and and your the ones you're looking at is the same four that you were in in your flipping business, or how have you reimagined, so to speak, the geographies that you're investing in now? Got it. Okay, so one of the markets that I was doing the flipping in was a coastal market, and I'm okay with that flipping because it was a short-term hold environment. I don't like to take on extra risk and being along the coast with uh, hurricane potentials, <laughs> I'm not a fan. So I do not have any apartment holdings in that city. Two of the other cities, the multifamily space got very hot and they had a lot of new uh, development in the multifamily space in those two cities. So it didn't make sense for me to get in there with uh, what I see as already market saturation. So I knocked out of those. I stayed in one up in uh, Clarksville, Tennessee. I stayed in that market and I continue, continue to look for multifamily properties as they become available. The city, it's on pace to grow and outpace Chattanooga uh, within about the next five years because they've had an inflow of Google, Amazon, Hanook Tires, the university up there just a couple of years ago got a large grant to continue to grow and build out their platform. So there's a lot of things happening within the city and the downtown area is gentrifying as well. So there's lots of things happening in that city. So it's still attractive to me, but I needed to find extra cities, uh, especially going into the syndication arena, uh, bringing in investors needing to provide them the opportunity to not only get double-digit returns, but also ideally capture that infinite return and still staying within my population and employment demographic spaces, which took me into uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky. Notice no coastal cities here. (laughs) (laughs) So just very solid, tried-and-true cities that I – when I'm looking for, especially for syndications, because I'm dealing with bigger product and more investors. So I'm even more careful with the investors' funds to ensure that as much risk as I can mitigate, I mitigate. So I go in and I look at even longer term demographics. Uh, if I can go back 20 years, I go back 20 years and see how the towns and how the sub areas of the towns have done over different market cycles to where I myself wasn't in the apartment space during those various cycles, but I can look back through the data and find that. And I always have property management or another apartment investing uh, partner in those areas that have been through the various cycles in those areas. There's only, let's see, You've got three things you can leverage. You can leverage time, you can leverage money, and you can leverage people. Well, I'm syndicating because I don't have a ton of extra funds. So that's how I'm leveraging some money. I leverage people by bringing on experts in each town that I'm working in so that I can share in their knowledge and experiences and not have to replicate any headaches down the road from things that have happened in the past. 
And then leveraging time kind of ties in with leveraging people. If you're utilizing people, delegating tasks, you're effectively gaining more time and accomplishing that same end product. So I do those things when I'm looking in various cities to make sure that I have a depth of understanding over many years of what the city's done through different market cycles to make sure that it is stable uh, going forward to help roll out additional risk to, to help mitigate those risks. I've looked in and around Atlanta. Atlanta's difficult because it seems like everybody's going into Atlanta. That's so true. Yeah. I haven't bought anything in Atlanta, but I do keep my eyes open to it. I still shop the Chattanooga market, even though I don't see it growing as fast as it once was, it still has a very solid data points to it. And it's still continuing on an uptrend. It has it hasn't completely normalized and it hasn't downgraded any. It's just not as high of a growth area. But I am researching other markets. I'm currently researching uh, Evansville, Indiana. There's some future developments uh, as far as infrastructure coming into that space that I see being beneficial for that market. It may still be five years out, but I've at least got it on my scope to continue to watch. And if the right opportunity were to present itself in the next year to two years, even knowing that mark would be five years out, if I'm buying in one to two years, I'm only potentially three to four years from that infrastructure trigger. And I'm holding for that whole period because I normally like to look at, at a minimum of five-year hold, but more often than not, to get into the infinite calculation space, you've got a five-year hold with a supplemental somewhere between the three to five-year mark. And then your end hold is a seven to 10-year. So I'm all of my areas that I'm looking into, I'm looking for up to a 10-year hold after achieving a significant capital return, if not a complete capital return, and just keep that cash flowing asset. Uh, in that space. Nice. Nice. Sounds like you've got it all worked out. Now we are going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Chris, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. First one, what is the best investment in real estate that you've ever made? Best investment in real estate, I would probably say would be my first apartment complex. And I say that just because I still have it and it is returning an infinite return at this point. So I doubled my money on it and some, and I'm still getting cash flow from it. So that to date is my best one, even though I've had some very high yielding uh, single family flips, that one is continuing to grow. If I were to calculate a number, that return is continuing to grow. But since I've fully returned all the capital, essentially it's an infinite return at this point. Cool. I like it. On the other side of that, what is the worst investment that you've made? So the worst investment, I had one flip and it really surprised us, really surprised us. We did our market study. We did our sub-market study all the way down to the street. And we saw the benefits and it met all of our margins and everything looked amazing. So we finished out the flip. Problem one, 
we finished out the flip. It was coming into the winter season and the market tends to slow down as far as people buying single families going into the holidays. So, okay, we may have to hold this for a little longer than we wanted to. Not ideal, but we'll deal with it. Mm -hmm. Well, we got into February and an ice storm came in and there was a large tree. (laughs) Needless to say, the ice storm brought the tree down. So we had to redo a big section of the roof. So we lost a lot of our springtime uh, buyers. We got the property back on the market coming into the summer. It was back on the market for about six weeks. And the AC that was in the attic ate itself and essentially flooded the living room. So we had to go back into another repair cycle with that one. So we lost the remainder of the summer. We got into the fall, got it back into market, and finally got it sold. So not only did we have two completely uncontrolled issues pop up that took us some additional uh, repair components to get it done, but we also, like I say, we were off by one street. We were not able to get the comps on our side of the street versus the other side of the, it's a three-lane road, the, the main artery of the town. We were on the wrong side of the main artery of the town to be able to get the comps equal to the other side of the road. So we were not able to get a buyer at the market point we wanted to get to, but because we had already had the the two additional repair events that we had to take care of, we just cut our losses. And I say losses, we still had a positive return coming out of it. But essentially, I ensured that my my note holder got their double digit. I took a low single digit. So it was painful for me. But it was better than what could have been if we would have continued to hold it and waiting for going through another winter who knows what else could have happened. So just went ahead and cut loose of that one. I took the small single digit return myself and moved on. Man, that is painful. (laughs) Now, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in investing? So the most important thing that I've learned in investing and in business is constant mentorship and growth. So Obviously, I've gone to the courses. I continuously just digest podcasts, uh, just to keep a market, an understanding of what markets are doing, an understanding of what people are doing, how new technologies may be affecting the way processes are happening and systems that people are using, but also getting into taking additional courses, getting into masterminds. I'm in a multifamily syndication mastermind. And um, I believe they're the largest one in the country is, is the way that the advertising come across. So I will hold to that. And leveraging the people within those groups, their experiences, their broader networks is invaluable to continuing to press forward and grow in the space. Awesome. I love it. So Chris, thank you for everything so far today. If people want to learn more about what you're doing in your apartment syndication business, where can they get in touch with you? So my company is wootencapital.com. You can check us out on there and read a little bit more about us and contact us on there. I'm also on all the social medias as Real 
Chris Wooten, uh, R-E-A-L-C-H-R-I-S-W-O-O-T-E-N. And you can take, connect with me on any of the social media platforms with that tagline. Awesome. Much appreciated. Once again, thank you for joining us. Thanks for all the wisdom and uh, best of luck in continuing your apartment syndication business. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It's a great show. Thank you. Been my pleasure to everybody tuning in. Thank you for listening today. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Got to stop saying iTunes, got to say Apple Podcasts, but uh, it's a big help. Helps other people learn about the show. If you know someone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and help bring them into our little tribe. We'll get them going in their investment business. Once again, thank you for tuning in. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great rest of your week. And we will talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.